and welcome back to Behind the Lens. The last Monday in March of 2016, March Madness is almost ended. Philadelphia team Villanova has made it to the Final Four. Um, Brian, do we have a Star Wars countdown by any chance? And I ask this only because tonight I'm going to a Star Wars Rebels event. Ooh. Ooh. I mean, can you say anything more than that? No, I cannot. That's why I figured. Uh, Today's countdown, we have 626 days, 12 hours, 59 minutes, and... Well, 58 minutes now, and uh, 40, or well, by the time I'm finished with the sentence, 40 seconds. To okay. Play. All right. Well, next week I'll be able to talk about the Star Wars Rebels event that I'm going to tonight. It, anything to do with the upcoming film at the end of the year? No. The, no. This is the Star Wars Rebels. This is the, uh, the animated series. Okay. And uh, it's a big blowout for the end of season two. All right. Well, yeah, give us a... You so know. that's that's all I can tell you, and I'm only leaking that because I know you are a huge Star Wars fan. Yeah, can't wait to hear what you, ha- what you got going on. Well, good morning. Hello, good morning. So, for those of you tuning in, I'm Debbie Lynn Elias, film critic to uh, somewhere around 150 uh, online and print publications around the globe. You can find me... In California, in Santa Monica Observer, British Weekly, Culver City Observer, Delray News, you can go back east and find me in the Beacon's Ta- in the Beacon Times Change, uh, Columbus Register, overseas, in a very and sundry a bunch of places, and then of course every Monday, you can hear me right here on Adrenaline Radio at eleven o'clock Pacific Time, two p.m. Eastern Time, and for those of you that tuned in last week. Or if you couldn't tune in live, but you listen to us, uh, listen to the podcast, uh, either on iTunes, on my website, on one of the other sites that air it, or you manage to see the video, because we do shoot uh, multi-camera with full edit for every show. Uh, you missed an incredible show last week with Alex Ruiz. I don't know how I will ever top last week's show. Um, Alex is amazing. Uh, for those of you that aren't familiar with with his work, go watch Quien es Quien. On Telemundo, it is the number one nighttime uh, show, telenovela, and uh, Alex is absolutely phenomenal in it. And and the show, even if you don't speak Spanish, there are subtitles. Also, the acting is such that you will be able to figure out what's happening. Um, But today, today is a fun show. I'm very thrilled about today. As I have said today, it's, you know, we're in a dog-eat-dog world. Uh, First up, we're going to have the incredible, the legendary soap star Michael Damien. Uh, many of you know him from having been on The Young and the Restless for decades as Danny Ramilotti. Well, after his Young and the Restless days, Michael turned to writing and directing. Uh, he's had a number of projects you may have seen. He's written some spectacular holiday-themed Hallmark Lifetime movies, uh, some of which have starred Jane Seymour, who happens to be in the film we're going to talk about today, uh, called High Strung. Michael directs it. It's written by, co-written by Michael and his wife, Janine. Uh, and music meets dance. And let me say it is the one, one of the most poetic, visually lyrical, uh, and stunning films that I have seen in many a day. The camera work is exemplary. The choreography, the different styles of dance and music that are all fused together in a climate for the film's climax, it it truly it brought me to tears. It was it's that amazing, and I already had a chance to talk to Michael last week, so I'm thrilled that he's going to be joining us today. As is Janine, 
And here's a little tidbit for all you fans out there. Janine is no stranger to television and film. Uh, You may know her father or of her father, the incomparable James Best, Roscoe P. Coltrane on the Dukes of Hazzard. I had the absolute privilege of working with Jimmy many decades ago. Uh, So it is a real thrill for me to have life come full circle yet again and get to talk to Janine about this incredible project. At the half hour mark, we've got Courtney Daniels, who is going to talk to us about rescue dogs. It is a cute movie. It is a fun movie. But beyond that, all you animal lovers out there, run, don't walk to see this. Or you can also, through Tug, which is now one of the premier viewing services out there where you can you can get a movie in your town. Uh, you can go to rescuedogsmovie.com and all the information is on there how you can bring you or your charity uh, can actually have a screening of Rescue Dogs Movie in your hometown. Uh, all the dogs, all the animals in the film are all rescues. Um Courtney is very involved with rescue animals, as are many of the, the two-legged cast and crew. So we're going to hear from Courtney, and she also produces and distributes uh, through her Busted Buggy Entertainment Company, uh, takes, uh, is distributing the film. So we're going to talk to her at the half-hour mark about working with all of our wonderful four-footed creatures, including one of my favorites, a dwarf hamster named Hambone. Uh, But she'll be here with us then. But before Michael and Janine call in, I want to give you a great programming note. Uh, A show that is a documentary that is on HBO tonight. It's called Only the Dead See the End of War. Uh, It's it's written and co-directed by Michael Ware. He was a journalist. He spent seven years in Baghdad. And he had unprecedented access to the Iraqi insurgency. And uh, notably, for whatever reason, Zarqawi um, picked him as being a liaison and a go-between. You want to see on, you know, boots on the ground footage of what really has, has gone on over in the Middle East during the wars, during some of the most savage fight and brutal fighting and the rise to power. Uh, of Zarqawi and then subsequently, you know, ISIS. This is a documentary not to be missed. Many of you may have seen Michael's CNN special back in 2008, Inside the Surge. If you haven't, hunt it down, find it, see it. It is fabulous. Um, My interview with Michael is actually floating around out there in the ethos right now. it will be, I believe British Weekly may be running it in the next 10 days or so. It will be up on my website, MovieSharkDeBlore.com, later this week. Um, but uh, it's an incredible, incredible story. Uh, Michael is, I, I tip my hat to him. And the emotions that we see unfold and hear. I mean, he was running around with a camera, a cell phone, a smartphone, shooting most of this himself. Um, it... Uh, it really makes you stop and think and gives you a totally different perspective on the collateral damage of war. So that is on HBO. It premieres tonight. Check your local listings to find out the times. I can't uh, encourage you enough to see the spectacular documentary. 
Um, also, anybody that watches the video later this week, you're going to see on the tablescape, we have Lisa Scatolini, New York Times bestselling author, author and one of my pals. Her latest book, Most Wanted, comes out uh, in about 10 days, I think on April 12th. Um, we're trying to arrange a time Lisa will actually be calling in some Monday to talk about Most Wanted uh, and some of her other ventures where some of her books are now being postured to be turned into films, telemovies, or series. So uh, stay tuned because we will have Lisa Scottolini coming up next week. A real thrill. Dion Taylor, director, writer-director Dion Taylor will be back with us. Uh, he has a new film, Meet the Black, starring Mike Epps, produced by Snoop Dogg. And Dion has assured me there may be some surprises calling in with him next week at 11.10. But... We should have Michael and Janine calling in shortly. But before we get to them, we started a couple weeks ago to talking about Miracles from Heaven. Miracles from Heaven ultimately debuted as the number one faith-based movie of all time uh, with its opening weekend. It is still in the top five movies. Uh, it's an incredible story based on a true story of Christy Beam and her family and notably her daughter, Anna. We heard a little bit uh, from Patricia, uh, director Patricia Riggin about bringing this story to life. But there were a lot of challenging aspects about the visuals and the script. And take a listen to what Patricia and I talked about in this exclusive interview. What was the most challenging aspect? Outside mm -hmm. of finding Kylie, mm -hmm. the most challenging aspect mm -hmm. of bringing your vision of telling mm -hmm. this story to life Mm -hmm. while staying true mm -hmm. to Christy and Annabelle's story. Mm -hmm. Well, I think you just said it, you know. There's always that challenge um, of being truthful to the real characters, but also making a movie. That's always the first challenge. But the second challenge in this one for me was, you know, I'm dealing with a very dramatic subject matter, right? When you're in a situation like that, you suffer. And when you suffer, you cry. And it's true. But movies don't normally shy away from that. You know, they don't want any, any suffering on the screen because it pulls people away. So for me, the challenge was how do I make, I make a really entertaining, fabulous movie and not shy away from the truth, which is a very dramatic dramatic story mm -hmm. and that's you know the balance that I'm hoping that I achieved I in which I people are gonna cry but they're gonna laugh and they're gonna come out happy when you read the script were you concerned or did you have any trepidation mm -hmm. of executing the visual poetry of this film to match the emotional resonance oh I had a lot of concerns when I read the script um I, again, you know, first one being that, you know, creating a very visual, cinematic experience. Um, so it was about working with the writer, bringing all those elements in, mm -hmm. so that then when I, I like to work, put everything I, I can into the script, so when I get to the shoot, I feel strong, I feel safe, mm -hmm. I feel like... I got it on the page, you know, as much as you can, you yeah. know. And then from there, you can take it to another level, but you already put a lot of stuff that needs to be in the script, otherwise they don't give it to you later. Mm -hmm. So, you know, 
I, I, I just try to inject a lot of that, you know, all the visual stuff, but and also all the universality of the story too. You know, I didn't want to make a movie that was for one type of person only. I wanted mm -hmm. to make a movie that everyone could relate to, if you're religious or if you're not religious or if you're a little bit religious. Um, you know, that is open for interpretation. Mm -hmm. It doesn't give you a single point of view and wants you to believe in it. It just lets you, it lets you read it from your own perspective. And we'll hear some more from Patricia Riggin and one of her stars, Ahenia Derbez, later in the show. But right now, I am thrilled. Do I have the wonderful Michael Damien on the phone? I want you to check that scene for noise. Hi. Hey, Michael. Is, Hi. Is Janine there too? No, you just have me because I'm at the, I'm over at the TCL uh, doing a tech check for the for the movie for the premiere tomorrow night. Aha. Uh -huh. So I'm alone. I'm away from her. I'm so sorry. Oh well, that that's okay. I guess I'll make do with you. I mean, you did only direct the film. Do you want us to call her at home and see if you can? No. Call her in? <laughs> Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> I can try. You want me to try? Uh, no, that's fine, Michael. That's fine. I know all of your fans out there have been tweeting up a storm about you calling in today. They've been very excited to hear from you and talk oh, about High well, Strong. Well, that's awesome that I have somebody, some fans left. I'm, I'm actually honored. <laughs> you, Looking at my Twitter feed, you've got a lot of fans out there, my friend. <laughs> And once they uh -oh. once they see High Strong, I think you're going to have even more, because as we talked about last week, this is it. It you moved me to tears with oh. with this film, and yeah, it's just it is so powerful. It is so beautiful to see this marriage of music and dance. Oh, thank you. That means a lot. That means a great deal. I, we. Uh... That's the highest compliment if I if emotionally you were moved by it. You know, what to, to give to give the listeners an idea of what High Strung is about, how would you describe the the genesis of it and a basic uh, synopsis? Well, it's it's loosely based on my my wife's journeys when she got her scholarship at 14 to the School of American Ballet in New York City and you know, moving from a little town in Mississippi to the big city to pursue a dream and, and, you know, a bit of, they've heard her in trials and tribulations. And then, you know, because it's a movie of, of dance and music and because one character is a ballerina, Ruby, and then is a, a musician. And, and I come from the music world, um, starting, you know, at a very young age, uh, and, you know, I was fortunate enough to have a hit record when I was a kid. And, well, you know, uh, and let, let me... Sense. So that kind of, it's sort of a fusion of the two, our two passions. Well, let me, let me interrupt you there about your music, Michael, because I don't know if you realize this, but on April 8th, which is just next week, 1989, you had the number one song in the country with Rock On. No way. It was just, are you kidding? I am not kidding. April 8th, 1989. Oh, my God. Goodness. Okay, that just gave me the chills. I had no idea. We didn't time it that way. Okay, you just totally gave me goosies. <laughs> okay, now continue about High Strung. I just thought that that might blow your mind a little to know that. Oh, you just totally, completely defabulated me, if that's a word. <laughs> that's 
flabbergasted and defibrillated. <laughs> Those are my, my new words I created before you. Uh, that's <laughs> awesome. Well, I, I, hey, wouldn't it be great if we could repeat the magic <laughs> and have, and have, uh, we hope, you know, we hope that the people come out and, and really enjoy it. And, and as you said, You know, this, are you there? No. Yeah. Yes, I'm here. Yeah, you're breaking up a little bit. I know how bad the, the signal can be down at, uh, down at the Chinese. Yeah, we're down at the tech. We're too in a tech. Uh, it's, it's a little bit, sometimes I go in the theater. I'm in the, the theater. The kind of signal's bad, but I hope you can hear me all right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it breaks up a little bit. But, no, for the most part, you're, you're fine. You're fine. Now, you know. Okay, I'll, stand, I'll stand still. I won't move around. Okay, stand still and don't move around. That's good thinking. You got it. You know, I got to direct the director. What can I tell you? Oh, my God. So now. Please direct me. Now, when you have this great marriage of the mu- of music and dance, your experiences and Janine's experiences, because this is, it's a very sensory, it's a very sensory film and music and dance are both very sensory. They're, they're powerful. Generally, words do not suffice when you are describing either one. You know, how do you go about developing this into a big screen feature so that the audience will feel what both of you experienced in the course of your life? Well, we just, we, we you know, there's a, a great, great old saying, write what you know, and we took her, 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 her journey and her, you know, mom dropping her off in front of the, the school and, okay, honey, I got to go to the airport. I got to leave you now. And that, that's separation and that letting go and that that whole you know what a, what a monumental moment that is for for any young person you know off you know away from home mm-hmm. but uh you know we we just had to really once we start the story once we once we begin we work for the characters janine and i as writers mm-hmm. and we literally the characters i'm not kidding you, they start telling us what to do they they and and we just we just do as we're told as writers <laughs> we're, the, we're the you know what i mean and it's amazing how it just and most importantly we wanted to make we wanted the story to continue it's all about the story and the dance numbers had to be organic it had to it had to flow and it we didn't want it to be stop and start and be jarring uh just just the, the pace of it but more importantly we just wanted you to go on to this on this journey and you know through all these different you know situations and the situations numbers emerge and like the, the you've got hip hop you've got you know contemporary you've got ballet numbers you've got river uh, irish step dance there's even some tap in there tango so we wanted to make it kind of a an odyssey an odyssey of dance and music but really cohesive and um always always story driven and everything motivated by the story. And that's something you and I talked about last week because as I was watching the film for now I have now watched it 3 times. I watched it another time after you and I spoke the other day. So <laughs> I'm in love <laughs> I am in love with this film. But uh, thank you. Wow. But this thank is very you. this is very much you watch this and classic film fans out there will appreciate this and understand it. It's very much like watching something that Arthur Freed put out during his days with MGM and the MGM musical. This is very much a Gene Kelly-esque Fred Astaire marriage of film where the dance and the music is incorporated within the storyline. It's not stop and start, stop and start. It's, it is, you know, it just, it's threaded right within the story. It is part of the story. 
awesome. I love it. I love it. Thank you. Well, we uh, we we tried hard, and, and not just in the writing. We work. We work. We really wanted to get it right because it all starts on the page, and then. You know, of course, shooting in the transitions, you, you got to really work hard on transitions from scene to scene. That's ex- extremely important. And then in editorial, you have to really, that's where a lot of it, um, you know, you just got to really make it smooth and, and, and everything pushing the next scene, every, everything driving to the next moment. And then you need to slow down at times. Uh, so that I like a lot of levels. Mm-hmm. And I was hoping that it had lots of levels. And then, of course, the score has to just just you know breathe in and out of the scenes and just you know surround surround the images and not detract but 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 enhance well obviously. you know have to give a shout out to Nathan Lanier on that score because it oh, yeah. is, it is stunning and then married with that is Dave Scott's choreography for all oh, of these different dan- dance yeah. numbers <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. you you watch this and you know I see one scene I see the bar scene with the Irish step dance and I think oh my god nothing can top this then we move on to another scene and a a solo uh, ballet performance that's a you've got edited as a beautiful montage that with your featured actress Keenan Campa who you smartly hired a ballerina as opposed to hiring an actor yeah, we, we really got lucky because we have a world-class ballerina. As you know, she's the only American that's ever been accepted to the Marinsky Ballet Company of Russia. Just to, just to let you know how, you know, people know the level of her, her, her talent. And then she just, then she had to be a natural, uh, and, and, a, and, a, and a really good actress. And, and we, you know, it's a tall order and, you know, we, we, you know, we tested her and we just, she had this, you know, innate, natural thing about her with the camera. She felt very comfortable I did a scene with her, shot it, and and it looked fantastic before we ever, you know, basically a, a test scene, and like the old screen test days, and mm-hmm. it was awesome. And she just, she, it was her first time acting in a movie, and I can't wait to uh, show the the world her her beautiful light and talent. I mean, she is and the, dance ability. The camera loves her. She is luminous oh, on yeah. screen. Oh yeah, it totally loves her. Yeah, there's definitely a marriage there, yeah. <laughs> for sure. How how difficult was it for you and working with Varel uh, Sergovici, your cinematographer, in blocking and designing the visual grammar of the film? Because you you've got 360 degree rotations of camera to get encompass everything for the dance and. Any filmmaker out there who's listening, they know how challenging shooting 360 is. Oh yeah, we we call it seeing the world, and most cinematographers when I, when you say I'd like to do a I want to do a three sixty turn white because <laughs> <laughs> where am I going to hide the lights? And that's really the that's where the that's where the masterful uh, you know cinematography of Vero really shines. He was able to to light it, not overlight it. If you notice, we're at the edge at the edge of the of the the black levels. So we, you know, we can't push them and crush them any further. We were like, you know, but you see everything, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's a fine line. No, I mean, it's just, it's beautifully lens, but how long does it take you in pre-production then when you're blocking this out? Because that's got to be really fine tuned from Dave's choreography to the camera work and to the lighting that you, that has been designed. Well, you try to you try to block out. You try to do as much as you can, but you know everything changes on the day. Everything when you get to the set, all of a sudden, you know the wall is 
maybe moved a little bit closer than you thought, or maybe it's a little further away, or this is a little bit different. You just adapt on the set and on the day, and V-Rail doesn't freak out, and he just goes, oh, it's okay, I put a light over here, it's okay, no problem. <laughs> you know what I mean? He, that's how he is. He doesn't go, oh my gosh, you guys changed everything now, he's coming, you know, and I, I walk everything, everybody through it, and I, you know, I, I show him, you know, I, I do everything. I go, hey, he's going to come here. He walks into here. He's going to, she's going to do here. The dance number takes place over here. I want to shoot here, 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 here. And I, you know, I try to map it out as much as I can. But on the day, uh, you just always have to be, you always have to be ready for um, uh, improv because stuff always happens. And it's for the, usually it's for the good. Mm-hmm. Really nice things end up happening when you, you come in and you go, oh my gosh, I thought this was, door was over here. <laughs> where's that door i put it over here you didn't tell me oh gosh okay never mind yeah, so we, don't worry we'll make it work you know what, what I mean? was there a particular serendipitous happenstance on the, in the making of this film that was not pre-planned that you just it just occurred and it was just glorious for you as a filmmaker well um we had that happen on a daily basis you know there was always magical wonderful things happening you know and uh uh, from you know the crowd in the theater experiencing the number the finale number the the, the actors you know the 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 atmosphere actors we hired background actors were part of were were in the crowd and you know experienced that number I shot them I shot the the uh, audience reactions first while they saw the finale number so we could see the uh, the actual reactions from them, which mm-hmm. I thought, and even Jane Seymour and even our lead actors, they, they saw it for the first time. I didn't rehearse it. We just, I just ran it. We shot the very first take of it. And there were some really, some major, wonderful, magical reactions. Then, I don't want to give away the story, at the very end of the finale number, you know something happens at the end. Mm-hmm. Well, it was scripted that way, and actually some young actor did exactly what we scripted, but we... But I was going to stage it after, but some young actor did it anyway. Oh. And so, you know what I mean? We, we wrote it in the description. This actor, this young extra didn't know what was in there, but he just did it spontaneously. And we're like, perfect. You did cut. Oh my you God. did it. We don't have, you, know, we, you know what I'm talking about, right? I know exactly what moment you're talking about. Yeah. And you just yeah. gave me chills telling me that. Yeah, I told. Yeah, I told. I told the crowd. Okay, this is what you guys have to do. Don't anyone do this, please. Do not do this. And then, but I knew somebody was going to do it anyway because oh. we wanted that spontaneous moment, and it worked. So you'll see it. In the, you'll see it when you watch the finale number. You'll yes, every <laughs> everybody, and is this is why people must stay in their seats and always stay to the bitter end of a film. Oh, there's even more at the end end, you know, because, you know, that little surprise. Yes, there is more at the end end, which means stay in your seats when you see this film and watch the credits. Yeah, there's a a fun fun number in there. I won't give away too much more, but it's a little (laughs) surprise. Now, I have to ask you about your relationship with Jane Seymour. Jane has, she doesn't have a lot of screen time, but she's an important part of this film. And she's been an important part of several projects of yours. We've, this is, yeah, our fourth project together in a row, and Jane was the first one on board. We were shooting the, the, a, la, a movie called um, Love by Design, and she said, well, what's next? And Janine and I said, well, we're going to make a dance film, and she said, I'm in. Well, well, well you don't, we got to say anything. She said, don't worry, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm in, I'm doing it. I'm part of it. I love dance. I wanted to be, I was a ballerina. I, you know, I want to play a character in the movie, and so we said, okay, it's, uh, it's the tough love teacher and 
you know, it's an important character. She's also an executive producer. Mm-hmm. Having her on board day one helped us uh, get the film made. Um, just, you know, having her support and her, her uh, you know, passion and, and for, you know, towards the film really um, helped us, um, you know, get this thing, get this thing going. What does it She's mean? She's amazing. She's the most professional, oh. wonderful person uh, I've ever, ever worked with. No, Jane is, uh, I go back with Jane. The first time I ever met her and saw her work was back on the, in the first season of Dr. Quinn. So, and I've had the pleasure of talking to her and, and actually, you know, screening films that Katie, her daughter Katie has worked on uh, in a production capacity that uh, the the X family, <laughs> the, the, the Keech side, you know, all of their films. So, you know, I've, I've been along on this great long journey with Jane, and she truly is absolutely mm-hmm. amazing. But what does, what does it do for you as a director when you get a veteran performer like Jane Seymour involved in a production where you have so many first-time actors? Well, she's incredibly generous to the young to the younger actors. And she was really kind, and she really gave them some great little subtle subtle pointers and 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 support. And uh, I think a lot of the younger actors, obviously, they they really learned a lot from her. And she's 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 willing to share. Um, off on some of the characters. I know they really looked up look up to her, and so I, I think it was really a an amazing experience, and the younger actors really, um, you know, just said, oh my gosh, she's so nice. I thought she was going to be... I was like, that's the character. She's, <laughs> the character's a teacher. Teachers have to be... Teachers have to be Remember mean. your teachers? <laughs> What's that? Teachers have oh, to be yeah. mean. I mean Janine, Janine's teachers when she was at the school in New York, I'm I'm sure that was a great experience for her. But she loved it. She said, I, I wouldn't have had it any other way. They pushed me, pushed me, pushed me, and I wanted them to, even though it was like... Now, in re- looking back, um, they did. Because mm-hmm. they really trained her, her you know, her, um, uh, you know, technique-wise. Mm-hmm. And that rigorous technique you can carry over into other aspects of life, too. Absolutely. That's what I love about dance and even music and, you know, studying and all that. All It really teaches you uh, discipline. It uh, teaches you uh, to, to, to follow direction. It teaches you to work with people. You know, it's really amazing. Um, so now let's do the important stuff here. The film opens on Friday, April 1st. Uh, uh, no, April 8th. April 8th it opens. April eighth, the same day as somebody's number one record. Yes, that's right. That's right. Yes. Yeah, April eighth. Yeah. <laughs> and where will where will the film be opening? Um, are you talking about Los Angeles or where? Are is you it o- cities? Is it opening just L.A., New York, yeah. or? Oh no, everywhere, all across all across the country. You'll you'll be able to see it. It's at mostly AMC's, uh, but it's also uh, in in Hollywood at the TCL Chinese TCL Six Chinese Theater, the famous one with mm-hmm. the fingerprints and the cement. Yep. And you got to come see it here, April eighth, and we're going to have an opportunity at the seven o'clock showing where you can actually see the, see it opening night with some of the cast. We'll have some of the cast here. We will have some of the cast at the Empire Theater. I'll be at the Empire Theater in New York mm-hmm. and then, and in St. Louis. So we're going to do opening night where audiences are going to be surprised by the, they will see it with some of the cast of the film and filmmakers. Oh my God! And the, of course, there's highstrungmovie.com is the website, correct? 
Yeah, highstringthemovie.com has the theater locator. Okay. It has all the information, everything you need. Michael, thank you so much for joining me today. You, you got it. I oh, hope, you're wonderful. I hope to thank see you, you tomorrow night at the premiere. All right. That'll um, be great. Can't wait to see you. Thanks, Michael. Okay. Big B- kiss. Take care. Bye-bye. Rock on. Rock on, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. And now we're, we're, we're going to the dogs here. We're, we're just going to the dogs with Courtney Daniels. Hi. How Hi, are you? Courtney. I'm fine. Welcome to Behind the Lens. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing really well. You? I am just fine. And I have to tell you, Rescue Dogs, is, it's a, it is just absolutely adorable. Because as I'm oh, as I'm watching this, this is not like Beverly Hills Chihuahua or something where they're trying to get the animal mouths to match up with, you know, the actual words that the animals are allegedly saying. This is exactly how every one of us with animals behaves when we walk in our house and we look at our pets and we talk to them. And yes, we know they're answering us back telepathically, Absolutely. but they're answering <laughs> us back. Right. And you watch this, and it is just so charming. It is so fun. Kids will love... This is a film that kids would love to see. Absolutely. It's a a perfect family movie. Yeah. Now, you know, how did you get involved in in this project? You know, and one of the key... Because you're also a producer. Mm-hmm. And you're an actress. One of one of the few two footed actors in the film, right? You know, so how did this project come to you? Because this is not your run of the mill film, especially with no. especially when you consider some of your fellow castmates. <laughs> yes, which was the most apart, detractive part of the film for me was they were like, there's animals. And I was like, I want to do this. And <laughs> I knew the director and we kept saying we wanted to work together. And then he calls me up and he's like, I have this animal movie. And I was like, awesome. What time do we start filming? I'll be there. He's like, well, there's a script. And I was like, I don't care about the script. Well, I, I just want to do this. You said animals, I'm in. So I, I joined as the, the love interest, Bridget. And then he called me about two weeks before we began filming and said, hey, the dog that we had isn't going to work out, but you have a dog. And I was like, yeah, well, yeah, I do. But wh- where are we going with this? And he's like, I think he should be the star of the movie. <laughs> I was, I was like, but he's he's not a trained dog. He doesn't do anything except beg for treats. So he's like, okay, we've got two weeks to make him speak on command, and he's going to have to uh, open doors. And so we, I, I got to be a dog handler as well. Oh. So, the short, very short window, and then he, he jumped right in, and he was the role of Charger. And talk about a talented dog. I'm wa- I'm watching in the first, and when we first meet Charger in the film, you know, Charger, you know, he he's there with his human companion, and you know, Tracy. And let's see, we can make coffee, we can open doors, we can turn turn on the little toaster oven to toast English muffins. A mm-hmm. very talented dog. Thanks. Yes, he actually. He was that one take type of dog where he would be like, yeah, no, I did it one time. I don't understand why you guys, you guys don't, shouldn't need a second take. And he kind of look at us like we were, we were just like, just really not his, his first option. 
And so we were like, okay. So he'd sit down. There was a scene where he'd go and he'd pull the rope and his food would come down into mm-hmm. the bowl. And he did it the first time. And Cameron's like, we need to move. Let's start setting up again. And Baron, his name's Baron, sorry, Charger, turns and he looks around at all of us like, oh, my goodness. I'm working with the inexperienced. (laughs) And he he was really, really funny. And what's so wonderful as you as you tell me this about him, you know, and I think about the looks on his faces and the dialogue that we're hearing that, you know, in character Charger is thinking. And it is that exasperated. Oh, you silly humans. Yeah, right. Isn't that's how my animals look at me in general. Like, ah, well. You're still in training. Yeah, it's it's my my cats do the same thing, and it's it's just you, you just give up. You just right give up. But yeah, you know, I think my cat is certain that I'm there to be his butler. And, oh, and I know I'm, all like, of mine think that. <laughs> right <laughs> there, there's no doubt. But you know something very special about not just Charger, whose real name is Baron, mm-hmm. but all the other animals. They're all rescues. They are. They are. So we wanted to use real rescue animals and share the importance of how amazing rescue animals are and how you don't have to have the purebred or the, I guess, sometimes just the misconception of, well, if it's this, it's better. And and rescue animals are amazing and and they are, they're at shelters through no fault of their own. And that's what we wanted to show is in the movie, Charger comes into Tracy's life completely unexpectedly, mm-hmm. and and he makes it better. He makes Tracy a great cook, and he helps Tracy save his beach restaurant. Mm-hmm. And so he, we thought that that was a great story. He also helps Tracy and Bridget come together. He does, yes. Because how can any girl out there resist a guy with a talented, cute dog? Right? You you can't say no to that. I mean, come on. Yeah, and on the flip side, you know, as Bridget, you got to have a real, I mean, one of my favorite characters in the film was Hambone, Hambone the dwarf hamster. Right. You know, I that I, that was just hilarious, always on the hamster wheel, always on the hamster wheel. I just, He is so funny, too, because he's like, all his dialogue is he thinks that he's, you know, he's always working to be fit, but he's he's a hamster, he's a ham, and, and he was so funny. Uh, every time we would take, sh- we would shoot with him and he was a rescue as well. And he would sit in my hand and we'd have our conversations. I- it took me a while to convince him to like me because the first little bit, he would just poop in my hand the whole time we were filming. Okay. I don't think that has ever been written into anybody's contract. I will not have an animal <laughs> poop in my hand. This could be a first that we have to look into for the future. Right. It was a moment of testament. I was like, okay, well, this is awkward, but obviously it's not part of Scene, so we'll just keep going with this. And the writer, if, uh, who plays um, who plays Harper, adopted the dwarf hamster. And and so when we were done filming, I, I would call him out and I'd be like, I don't think he likes me. <laughs> and they'd pick him up and there would just be a pile of poop in my hand. I was like, yeah, could I, I need a moment to before we start again. I'd like to watch that. But of course, he'd come back and do it again. He was he was very funny. He had a lot of personality. You know, well, I have to ask you because you're also wearing the hat of a producer here through Busted Buggy Entertainment. You mm-hmm. know, how do you know what considerations did you have wearing your producer's hat for a moment? You know, working with all of these rescue animals. They're not ho- the Hollywood trained animals. Yeah, that come onto sets all the time. These are rescue animals that 
you have that, you know, other people are adopting. Mm-hmm. You know, does, is that a consideration for you from a time standpoint when you're shooting, you know, in terms of the number of takes, in terms of permitting, things like that for the number of animals you can have at one time? Does Absolutely. It, like all of that comes into play as a, as a producer. One of the first things I think about when I read a script is, does this include animals, kids, water, or fire? Because all of those things, they take up time and money and, and extra energy. So when we were doing this project, knowing that we were going to be using rescue animals, we knew we had to go in with a ton of patience mm-hmm. and, Really, you have to adjust for what they're willing to give you. It's not where you can have this conversation with them and say, okay, you got to do it like this again and put a little bit more feeling into it. They're going to look at you like, yeah, no, I'm just going to lay here. So we would do our, we'd have to adjust our shots and we had to adjust that even in in editing and be like that. We just did not get that shot and, Mm -hmm. and be aware of it and be okay with it. But one of the great things about working with animals and especially an untrained animal is they were just there to have fun charger had a great time filming on the beach he got to run up and down and every time he could convince someone who wasn't in the process of filming their scene to throw his his ball he was like this is great so to him it was play days and and i think we got a lot of fun happiness from him and an enjoyment which i think just makes the movie better as opposed to you know feeling stressed and and not wanting to mm-hmm. participate yeah, well, you get the sense watching the film, all of the animals involved, they all, they they seem very, very happy. It's like they're, the little dachshund is just trotting along, you know, mm-hmm. happy as can be. And then the dialogue just fuels it even more. You know, the great voice acting that you have in this film with people giving light, you know, putting words to what we're pretty much guessing is running through the animals' heads anyway. Right. And yes, they did a good job. It, oh, I mean, it's it, it is it charms and, you know, it makes you laugh in a sweet way. There's no yeah. there's no laugh out loud raucousness, but it's just so sweet. And it's just, you just go, oh, oh, it's so cute. Right. And that's that's what we wanted. The the cat Nightmare also was mine. And he he was he's a total fatty. He loved his his kitty treats. So we knew as long as we just set up his kitty treats, he was going to be raring to go. And he thought he was just having a buffet every day that we were filming with him. Okay, but so now, we were able to get the happiness from everybody. Well, now considering that night that the cat who played Nightmare is also yours, um, what happens when you stop filming and we're not getting that same abundance of treats at home? Well, I definitely went on his naughty list for <gasps> several days, and he he really had to think about. Um, forgiving me. I, I had to remind him that I loved him and, but he, he's just, he was just, he's just a loving cat, <laughs> but I definitely, they kind of looked and I have other animals at home. So there was a lot of jealousy of wait every day you're going with them or I, we went to, we were on location for at one point. So the animals that I had that were in the movie would leave and be gone for a few days and they'd, we'd, they'd come home and the other animals be like, wait, what, what about me? Where have you been? <laughs> Yes, and that's that's when when untoward things happen at home. Yes, definitely. I, I definitely put all of my shoes in boxes on the high level, so I didn't get any fun surprises. Oh, you know, I I learned long ago with cats. I'd forget about it because they'll they'll <sighs> dig into anything. When they were much younger, they would they I'd find some of them in the top of the closet. Um, you know, now that they're older, 
they're not as inclined to go jumping to the recesses of the ceiling. But yeah, there's always there's always payback. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, and it's unexpected. Like I have a cat that when he's mad at me about and I swear he can tell time because about three thirty in the morning he gets really close to my ear and just starts just meowing as loud as he can. I'm like, how do you know what time it is? <laughs> now, you know, you've got your two other primary human actors in there. You've got playing Tracy. We've got Paul. How do you even say Paul's last name? It's Hemp- Hempanati, and I'm, even I'm butchering it. But yeah, it's, it's something Hemp- like that. <laughs> and then, of course, Jordan Rollins, who also wrote the script, plays Harper. Mm-hmm. Now, was it mandatory you had to have animal lovers when they got cast in this film? Absolutely, because you, the animals were there on set. Jordan is a genius as a writer, and he's, as I'm sure you saw from the film, an incredible actor. He, he, uh, we had trouble. Paul and I had trouble not laughing out loud every time Jordan did a scene because he would do the unexpected, and he just had so much fun with Harper. So we'd have the animals on set, and then we we would move them from set, and it'd be a scene that didn't include them. And then, you know, someone would disappear and he'd look off and someone was in, like, the cat room playing with the cat or, you know, outside running along the beach with the dog. And be like, we're not done, people. So, so everybody enjoyed it, definitely. Now, you know, working with all the animals, as an actress, you know, you've got your lines down. But how strictly were you and your directors, Michael and Hike, you know, how were you adhering to the dialogue? Or did you have to have a lot of ad lib because of the very nature of the beast? Very much. You have to adjust to the fact that you're working with the unexpected. And one of the great things about the unexpected is something amazing can happen from it. The the unplanned. uh, For example, one of the great shots in the movie is the drone shot with Charger running down the beach. But we never expected that he would feel motivated to take that drone out of the sky. So half of his goal the entire point of that shot was to take the, the drone down. And we were really worried we were going to have to, like, motivate him to, to do that. So it, you got little fun things. And uh, the scene with Nightmare, there's a scene where he is moving his litter box. And he, before we even begin filming, he's, like, playing in the litter box and jumping out. We caught a few scenes like that that ended up not making the movie. But it's like, oh, I never even thought of how cute that would be as he's, like, moving around. And so I, I adjusted my lines and, and my character a little bit for that. Mm-hmm. You know, how difficult is it when you're having, you know, some of these romantic scenes that you and Paul as Bridget and Tracy were having in character, you know, when you've got animals down there that are want the attention from you, does that detract from you focusing on each other in the moment? I think it can. Uh, honestly, Paul was fantastic to work with and, and, Charger behaved so beautifully that it, it actually just added to the scene and it made it more, I don't know, more intense. And, mm-hmm. and I felt like we had a lot of chemistry. So I think that really helped. Oh, the two of you had incredible chemistry on camera, as, you know, Paul did with Charger. Absolutely. I mean, I and, never would have thought for a minute that that was not his dog. And Paul was great. He Before we began filming, he came and he wanted to meet him and he wanted to go for walks with him so that they were comfortable Aww. together. And we spent a little bit of time with him calling him Charger and so that they were able to kind of 
know each other a little bit without both of them looking at the other like, I'm not real sure about you. Mm-hmm. So, so now, what is, what is, I have to ask you about Busted Buggy. What is Busted Buggy Entertainment all about? So Busted Buggy, Busted Buggy Entertainment, uh, we're a multifaceted production company. We do film and television and web series. And with Rescue Dogs, the movie, we have just opened our distribution arm as Busted Buggy Pictures. So mm-hmm. we're partnering with rescues across the country. And we're at our opening weekend, we're doing, depending on the location, doing live adoption events at the theater or across the oh. theater based on kind of locations. But it was a, we saw it as a great way. And that was something that the, the company wanted to do was, ha- as animal lovers, how do we promote animal adoptions? Mm-hmm. So by in, you can come to the movie, bring your whole family, you can enjoy this great piece of entertainment and see how amazing rescue animals are, but also walk outside and see animals that are looking for homes. And we're also, producers are donating 20% of their proceeds to their partner charities in each location. So we thought it was a great way for visibility, but also to have a good time without everyone feeling like they're handout. Mm-hmm. Well, and also you've partnered with Tug on this, on your distribution also, have you not? Yes, we have. So what we did is we chose one charity in each location, but of course there's tons of amazing charities that we wanted to participate with. So we opened up, we did the deal with Tug so that charities can host their own screening during the week and raise money for their charity. They can just, they can come to our website and can set it up through Tug, or if the charity wants to do it on the weekend, they contact us and we help them set it up and it's a way for them to earn money and have an event for their own charity. I mean Tug I think is a fabulous for everybody out there listening. You, if your theater doesn't have a movie that you want to see, if you want to see Rescue Dogs and they don't have it, you can, you know, and the film is partnered with Tug, you can bring that film to your town. And Absolutely. I, and, you know, I just think that is such a, a wonderful grassroots way of screening films on the big screen. And especially with the tie-ins you have for something this worthwhile with animal adoptions, rescue animals. I, I, it's just, I'm a, I'm a huge, huge, don't look to me to give money to people. I give money to animals. <laughs> Oh, I'm absolutely the same way. I'm, I am that person that I think my husband thinks every time I leave the house to go to the grocery store, I found an animal and I brought it home. He's like, we have like 15. You can't have them all. You know? And I'm that person. And I, I do donate a lot of money and time to animals. And one of the things we did is we chose an animal mascot in every location. And we're also sponsoring that animal's adoption cost to an approved adopter for the rescue. So we're trying to choose animals in that instance that they've been at the rescue a long time. And for some reason or another, whether they're old or they've got a few medical problems, they haven't been adopted. And Mm -hmm. so we wanted to help in that way as well. And, And part of the message of the film is that animals are amazing. And I think sometimes you can have this thought that, well, I want a purebred. Well, purebreds are at the shelter. Well, I want a puppy. Puppies are at the shelter. Mm -hmm. Well, if it's at the shelter, something's wrong with it. Not necessarily. And as I think, I mean, for me, I love puppies, don't get me wrong, but potty training, like you go through <laughs> furniture and you go through carpets. One of the great things, you can get an, an adult dog that comes trained. They, a lot of them have had that training, but through no fault of their own, just ended up at a shelter. And we just, we saw this as a great way to bring awareness to our favorite cause 
using a great story. And, and I have nieces and nephews, and I wanted a project that they could go and see and enjoy mm-hmm. and, and that I could be proud of. Yeah, because there aren't that many real family, family films out there. No. And this is a film that even, you know, even the, the love interest between Tracy and Bridget, it, there's nothing there that, you know, w- would change the film's rating, that you'd have to cover the kids' eyes or ears. Every, it's just wholesome family entertainment that's fun. Thank you. Yes, that's, that's what we wanted. Uh, Tracy and Bridget... They don't. They don't even like kiss on the lips. Like they, they have near misses and and just this really cute relationship that I think we all kind of hope for mm-hmm. in our own way. And and I'll give you an example with the the tug. What there's an area in which we're doing, we're hosting at a community center because mm-hmm. they didn't have a theater. So it can be in multiple locations and and work with communities and and kind of family events and you know can roll out to church communities and that mm-hmm. sort of thing and that's what we wanted that sort of a film mm-hmm. well and it, you get that vibe when you watch the film too because it's just enjoyable from start to finish there Thank is you. there is nothing not enjoyable about rescue dogs Thank you. I, I, I'm a big fan of it. I enjoyed doing it, and I, I felt really blessed to be a part of such a great project. And, and all of the last we had, we had a great experience where Charger was all set up when we did his scene, and then we moved camera around, and we set up to do Tracy's scene, and we pulled Charger from set, and he'd hear the dialogue, and he tried to run right back onto the live set and be like, wait, that's my scene. Those are my lines. I'm supposed to be part of this. And I think we you would miss all of that if you weren't doing something fun like this. True. Now, I have to ask you, because of the, f- the fact that Tracy plays a chef at the, a Beach Shack restaurant, there's a lot of cooking going on. Could Paul mm-hmm. really cook? Or was everything that we see in a montage landing in the trash, is that pretty much how his cooking is? <laughs> he definitely uh, could cook some things for all of the beautiful shots that we had. We actually did bring in someone who was a beautiful chef and, and would plate everything perfectly so we could have those those shots. Uh, Paul's kind of <laughs> like me. We can cook, but it doesn't necessarily look perfect, that restaurant quality about him. So I will but say I mean, the plated food looked beautiful. Guy, count well, that's... Him. You know, he, Paul looks so good that you're looking at him instead of the food anyway. But the great, right? <laughs> the great shots you have of the food, it is beautiful. It looks, it looks like it could come out of a five star restaurant. And and that's I think as we all we look at food and we're like, if it looks appealing, and the truth is you're eating it, so it what tastes like matters. But yes, when you're watching something, we wanted people to think, oh, that looks good. And and we had a real challenge finding a location that we could cook at and bring a dog in as well. Where did you end up shooting this? We actually were in Long Beach. And we, we found a place that was on the beach, but they were in the midst of construction and they weren't currently open. So it wasn't an issue for them that we came in with a dog and and when a crew comes in in filming, you're, even a small crew like we were, it's, it's madness. There's a lot going on. And mm-hmm. most places, 
they're not terribly thrilled with that. And this place was under construction, so we just were able to use kind of the main areas. And, and they were like, fine, this works for us. And they're actually hosting an event down on the beach for the movie. Aww. So it worked out so beautifully. We couldn't have gotten anything better. So the official information on the film is the film opens on the 1st? It does. It opens on the 1st. So it's not an April Fool's joke, people. You really can see Rescue Dogs starring all these really adorable rescue animals on April Fool's Day. Yes. Yes. So it'll be opening on April 1st in several markets. And then as uh, we have a few more markets opening on the second and third week as it expands out across the country. Now, are there any plans at this point to have it go on demand to VOD any or any other platforms, digital platforms? There are. We're absolutely in the works for that. But we did want to give the chance uh, for the tug yeah. opportunities. So after the film is done being in theaters, and if it did premiere in your market, there is a six-week wait window that mm-hmm. is required by the theaters. If it didn't premiere in your market, then it can absolutely go immediately. But we have that six-week window, then the tug opportunities for our, our other charity partners, and then it will expand out into being available on, on demand and DVD. Oh, I mean that this it's I mean the the whole distribution process everything you've put together here is just so amazing. This is not just go to the theater and see a film. There is so much more to this whole project. And hats off to you, Courtney. I just think it's fabulous. Absolutely Thank fabulous. Thank you. Thank you. I have to say though, I have a tremendously amazing team and and I just I got so lucky with everybody who's been so on board and supportive and and we're, we're doing this differently, and that, that's something that everybody had to support, and, and the writer and the director mm-hmm. and everybody at Busted Buggy has worked really hard to make that happen. And will we see another all-animal film from Busted Buggy in the near future? I hope so. I definitely hope so. We, we've already been approached, and it's nothing's necessarily been forward since we're on the, the release right now, but there's been talks of, of Rescue Dogs 2, and mm-hmm. I, I know there's an initial script floating around. So there's definitely there's definitely stuff in the water. We'll see what happens. Well, you just make sure that, you know, Charger has a really good agent because I want him looked after. Oh, right. Well, actually what happened is he he got a whole bunch of work after the film, and I constantly was – I became like the dog limo. And I was driving him everywhere, and I finally had to turn down work for him and be like, guys, I – I, I have to, like, do stuff. I can't come every day to bring him to oh set here and, and take – he got a commercial. And, yes, he's, he became very popular. So his his agent is all over it. Oh, my God. Well, Courtney, thank you so, so much. This has been an absolute joy. And I hope that you will you'll come back again. I would love to. And, you know, even further down the line with Rescue Dogs and what's happening with, you know, with Tug. And, you know, we can give another push to get people to – you know, to open up their hearts and uh, see this fabulous film. I would love that. That would be great. And hopefully I'll be able to have numbers on how well it did and oh. how many animals were able to be adopted and use it. Our goal is to use it as an example. of. I, I think for filmmakers, sometimes they think that they're dependent on, you know, a distribution studio release. And the truth is you're not. And you can yeah. get your project out there and you can be involved. And and that's a great thing, too, to share. Yeah. Courtney, thank you so much. And I will talk to you again soon. Absolutely. Thank you. My pleasure. You have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. And that was Courtney Daniels talking Rescue Dogs in theaters this Friday, expanding in, in the next two and three weeks. Um, that is all the time that we have today. So... 
We'll be back next week. Dion Taylor is joining us. Gail Kirschenbaum is also joining us. Until then, Behind the Lens. Time to tune in and log on with Behind the Lens. Join noted film critic Debbie Lynn Elias and a lineup of talented co-hosts and informed guests each week as she goes behind the lens and below the line. We'll take in-depth looks at films and filmmaking with the movers and shakers and -and up-and-comers of the industry, along with movie reviews, interviews, awards, festival coverage, specialty segments like Tech Talk and Classic Corner. Tune in to Behind the Lens every Monday, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, only on Adrenaline Radio. Make